Peace and thank you, family, for tuning into Creative Habits Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Anthony. And I'm your co-host, Indigo. We're based in Washington, D.C. with leading discussions on topics surrounding pop culture, business, lifestyle, and art with an occasional guest appearance within the creative and entrepreneurial industry. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Creative Habits Podcast. Today, we have a very, very special guest. I'm so honored to introduce this artist, um, a fellow Corcoran, you know, alum, and I'm so excited to chat and pick his brain for this episode. Lionel Fraser White III is a Washington, D.C. native, arts educator, and interdisciplinary conceptual artist. They work in painting, drawing, wood sculpture, installation, and mixed media collage. White's work explores themes of forced and coerced labor and its effect on family pathology, erasure, displacement, reassertion, and gentrification. White holds a bachelor's in fine arts from the George Washington University Corcoran School of Art and Design and is a graduate of Duke Ellington School of the Arts High School in Washington, D.C. They have been exhibited at the D.C. Commissions on Arts and Humanities, Prince George's African American Art Museum and Cultural Center, Torpedo Factory, Connect the Dots, Rush Arts Galleries, and Area 405. White was a 2019 Halcon Arts Lab cohort, three fellow in residence in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the show, Lionel. Um, it's like when people read that stuff to you, it's like, I did all that. <laughs> what? Okay, oh, well, uh, but yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Wonderful. So, Trey, um, you are an artist as well as an arts educator. Um, how do you do both? How do I do both? Uh, I just, it's kind of like, it's, it's literally like a Nike, just like the Nike thing, like you just do it. Uh, <laughs> I think the I do it is because it's really ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. Like, like when work comes, I have a commission, like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really the commissions and the kind of, like, shows that keep me busy. Um, and I'm always I'm always thinking about the work. I'm never not thinking about the work. Um, the work is always present, like, on my mind. Right. So, like, um, usually if I get a commission, then I'm kind of like, all right, let me. Yeah. There do be nights where I do be up to, like, 2 or 3 o'clock before, like, to get it done. Mm-hmm. And those times where it's like, all right. You got a deadline, you know. Uh, I'm getting older now. I'm not old. I'm only 27, but that is not old. <laughs> it's not old, but is if I feel like when I used to be in school and college, I can stay up till like four o'clock in the morning, drink a coffee, and 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 getting just, it like, done. Get it done. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> it feels, but uh, but I think like I think how I do it is like definitely commissions definitely staying present in the community mm-hmm. in the artistic like community seeing or however folks want to like you know describe it um i think those things like staying consistent mm-hmm. you know, i mean folks will hit you up and be like hey saw this what about you um and so i feel like that's the thing that kind of keeps me like active um is that you know like just the it's generosity and the thoughtfulness of like you know people seeing your work and like being out there um, showing up and like doing different things and then 
also have a community of like friends and like peers that you know are always like sending you things or like hitting you up about stuff and like mm-hmm. things your way whether it be like fellowship opportunities whether it be grants so like those things that kind of like keep you afloat uh, so it's been a mixture of like uh, just the ebb and flow of like right now I don't have time to like really be in the studio right now. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of focusing on my my day job, uh, but you know, so the day job allows me to really like uh, sustain myself because I'm a being a theoretical artist, or being a conceptual artist, and being like also like a to me like an anti capitalist. Mm-hmm. I very like black artists. I talk about like, white supremacy in my work. I talk mm-hmm. about systems of domination. Uh, you know, and, you know, I'm not. I don't see myself as being scared to address any of those things, even inside of the art world. And so, if I, I, for me, no shades anybody else, but for me, I feel like the day job allows me to say whatever I want to say. Um, and like you know, and I enjoy teaching. Like teaching is a but definitely a part of like the work because like I'll teach about like Lisa Butler or uh, wow uh, or I'll teach about like uh, Afrofuturism and like Greg Tate and like these different things that I'm teaching make me do my own homework and stuff mm-hmm. so I get excited and so then I can like bring this stuff back to my work and like you know what I'm saying so there's that exchange so like teaching is like allows me to be able to like you know like feed until you know until I get to that next stage of fingers crossed until I get to that next stage and you know I can you know eat off the work a little bit more but you know I enjoy teaching this work mm-hmm. I really enjoy it um, and I enjoy so that's kind of how I do both I just you know have my ebbs and flows of when I do it when I'm in the studio when I'm working um, and then, you know, when I'm not, you know, I'll just, I'm still writing and still thinking and still mm-hmm. you know, so that's kind of how I do both. Yeah. Uh, I actually love how you mentioned that, um, it was your day job. Cause I do feel like as artists, we don't really necessarily think of our artistry as like our career, you know, it's almost like a lifestyle. So I can relate with you saying or indicating that that's your day job, but even at your day job, you're still applying or implementing things that are relative to your lifestyle, (laughs) you know, that kind of help that journey in, you know, stemming ideas, grabbing inspiration, because I'm sure the kids also give you a lot of inspiration as well. Mm -hmm. So that's that's great. So um, you have studied at two of the most prestigious uh, institutions in Washington, D.C., um, firstly, Duke Ellington School of Arts, and then secondly, Corcoran. Um, how did you end up at Duke Ellington? Did you know that you were into the arts as a young kid? Like, how did that happen? I mean, because we was trying to figure out, we was trying to game plan. Like, mm. I was not, I was, I, thank God, uh, um, my trajectory in terms of school has been, whew, it's been, you know, I made it. I made it. I made it. I survived. I mm-hmm. survived. But I think, and I'm not shy about like my trajectory had everything to do with my entry into like special education. Okay. Uh, my mom, she put me in special education, and that teacher who was the teacher for that class or did that, she was amazing. Like, mm-hmm. uh, 
And so during that time is when I discovered art. And so art was the thing that I was like really good at. It was just something I like showed like just an aptitude for, even though I didn't I didn't necessarily see the aptitude. Uh, but one of the first things I did the schoolwide competition to draw the cover for the African American music program at the school. Wow. Um, and I won, and my grandparents still have uh, that 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 book. So, was it middle school or elementary this elementary. elementary school oh my gosh so i i won out of the whole school and, and i look back on it i like i drew a picture of frederick Douglass, and it looks crazy but it looked like frederick Douglass. it looked like oh, wow. a crazy picture of frederick Douglass. so i was like so i did it <clears throat> and that's what kind of got me like going so even now as a teacher like i still reflect on that period because um, my parents are trying to figure out what we're going to do with this boy. Like, we mm. got to figure something out. Like, you know, like, because uh, when I was in third grade, my one of my teachers put me in this little booth. Um, so I, she thought that, like, if she put me by myself, I would get distracted. And I said, she didn't know that I don't need company to be distracted. <laughs> so <laughs> I would draw on the sides of the walls, and I would never sit in my chair. And I was just, whoo, I was, I was... You know, I was just, I was being a child, but I was definitely, a, you know, but that transition into uh, uh, special education, like really, like, you know, having that teacher, having those two teachers, uh, Miss Booth and Miss Michelle, really, like, by the time I got to sixth grade, I was like, oh, I'm an artist. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> and so seventh and eighth grade, I had another art teacher who was really good, so I would be uh, so that was the trajectory that really marked the trajectory of me going into Duke. Okay. And so by the time I got to uh, seventh grade, I was drawing. I was drawing. I was drawing a lot. I actually, the first time I met uh, another artist in the area, Wesley, uh, uh, I was um, at junior high school. So I saw Wesley and we did like a mural. Wow. So you could actually be like an actual, like, you know, because everybody was like, yeah, artists don't make any money and you're going to be starving and you're going to, you know, like, uh, what the mothers say on um, Sister Act 2, everybody's going to be outside <laughs> singing they should have put it with us. So I was like, <laughs> so, but, so I was like drawn and like, so I got in, so I, so by this time, this was when the photography and graphic design industry was really booming, like the early 2000s. So everybody was like, well, mid 2000s, because um, I went to Duke in 2009, so like 2006, you know, seven, eight. Everybody was like graphic designer, photography, graphic designer, mm-hmm. photography. And so my parents and my my grandfather was a drafts man back in the day before they had Adobe and all that good jazz. Mm-hmm. And my dad could also draw really well. Um, and so you know. Uh, then my parents were entrepreneurs, like they were in church and so they already knew how to like manage working and doing other stuff and right. doing, so they already were hustlers. So they were like, you could do it. Mm. Um and so graphic designer photography was the trajectory that I thought I was gonna take. And so, you know, um being at Duke, I was like a pretty big fish in a in a small tank. Going to Duke, I was like, 
oh, these kids can draw, draw. Like they. So, was it intimidating for you? Like, um, it it wasn't necessarily like intimidating. It was just like, um, you know, like when you have that. Because even when I was in elementary school, I wasn't the best drawer. Okay. So I was like, man, I'm a draw better than y'all. Like, I'm, you know. So I was like, so when I got into Duke, it was just kind of like, I learned how to cultivate the skills that I had. Mm. Um, I was never, I was never the best renderer or painter or drawer. I mean, I decent, <laughs> um, <laughs> decent, very good. Like I, I could, if I, if I had to do some photorealistic drawing, I could get it done. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if I had to really, you know, um, I'm a, I'm gonna definitely use that grid method, but, um, you know, so I can, you know, so. Being at Duke, it really kind of like uh, it put a it put a little chip on my shoulder that like really got me like hungry because I was like you know, uh, but then it also introduced me to uh, like and I had one of my teachers at Duke was Stan Squirewell, mm. uh, and I feel like you know um, really introduced me to being like a contemporary artists um and so being at duke i really got the contemporary art bug and so like then there were certain things that are just like by printmaking i took a liking to printmaking and i took it up i took a liking to like you know just you know i was doing raw shocks and so like i didn't know that that's where the money was at like the girls was really going up for the, you know, the, you know, the, I didn't know. I was like, these other people can paint. I can't paint. Right, right. I could do some other stuff. And so I really got into, like, conceptual art during that period of being a contemporary artist. Mm -hmm. By the time I got to my senior year, I was like, I might not be able to paint better than you. But, you know, you know, but then my printmaking and my composition was strong. Mm. and, And so, when I was applying to schools, um, you know, I did not have the best grades. <laughs> it was like my 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 academic grades were low, but my mm. art grades perfect B's. You know, I you know you can't get a C at B in, in your art. Like there's nothing. How do you so grade I, art though? That's always been my question. How do you grade art? Yeah. Like, what are you looking for? <laughs> I mean, cause that I mean, bro. I, that's the interesting. It's always interesting, like the grade my kids were, mm-hmm. um, because I feel like what I'm looking for is if you sat in my class, because even for the kids that are already good, if you sat in my class and you just you just kind of like, I'm like, all right, that's I'm gonna give you a C plus. Like even I feel like there are kids who can't draw uh, or render as well as some other kids, but if I see you practicing, like to me the practice is what I'm grading kids on. And if I, like, if I see, like, a growth metric of, like, this is the first one you did, this is the second one, this is the third one, if I see growth in between the first one and the third one, that's how I, like, grade my kids on, like, their growth. Um, but if you sit in my class and do nothing, you're going to fight. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to, or you just, like, you know, you kind of, you don't go through the process of allowing like the work to like you know, um, cause yeah, I'm like kids, kids be like I can't draw. I'm like, 
nobody can draw. Like drawing is not a natural. Mm-hmm. Thing. No one knows how to. You know, you're not born knowing how to draw. Right, you no learn. Knowing composition, you develop. Mm-hmm. It's a skill. It's a technology. So you're using this technology for like you know, uh, you know, in order to, because I feel like the pedagogy that I use is like um, uh, visual literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like I use visual literacy to kind of like engage my students and then you know the exit sheet so I'm like how did you um, like self-reflection so like what did you learn today mm-hmm. um, feel like you can do better how did what things also what are the things you feel like you did good on because I feel like asking kids like what do you think you did good on today uh, and then allowing them because sometimes they're like Man, I remember being in third grade, being like really frustrated because I'm like, this don't look like, don't look, I don't look like yeah. a certain, like, and so this, this is bad. And my art teacher would be, she would just come over to be like, oh my God, this is so, and I'm like, lady, you're crazy. <laughs> and so I find myself becoming a mixture of the teachers that I had. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit of Mr. Squire. I'm a little bit of Mr. Easton. I'm a little bit of Mr. Show. I'm a little bit of all these different people because I've been in class. I'm amped by Mr. Easton. Like, come on, let's talk. Let's go. Yes, I can park the back of the chair. I like, you know, Miss Michelle. She was very encouraging. Like, yes. Oh my God. Yes. Beautiful. This is yes. And then Squire was like, you know, like really like pushing like the importance of like knowing different artists. Mm. Understanding who's out there, understanding what other artists are doing, what's in the field. Like mm. he was definitely like in the field, and like why I feel like it's a benefit for me being a practicing like artist of like like being able to be like, all right, these are like the professional practice skills that you're gonna have. If you can't draw, you can still be uh, one of the greatest artists that ever existed. Like you, you don't, sure can. Like <laughs> it's facts. You don't need to be able to be the best drawer because there are plenty of artists who cannot draw. Yeah. And what they're selling really is not their ability or capacity to render. There are people who don't paint. They do other things. And so the thing that you really need to be a professional artist is not just, just technical skill. Sure. You know, because for me, I'm like, I'm a sculpture installation person now. How I became an installation person, I have no idea. <laughs> I am not classically trained to know how to know which screws go with which bulb or which mm-hmm. not, how to twist it. You know, and it'd be frustrating when I'd be having shows and people who really do this stuff be like, you know, you should have did it like this, right? I'm like, well, I well, okay, all right, <laughs> yeah, thank you for telling me after the fact. Like, thank you. I'm <laughs> sure enough to include that the next time I build, like. Yeah, I've learned the hard way of how to build certain things. And but like, it, it was built. How about that? Yeah, <laughs> it, it was, was in an exhibition, so there. Yeah. Um, but so by the time I got to Corcoran, my senior year at Duke, this was the lesson that I learned. By my senior year at Duke, mm-hmm. like, some of the prints that I was making were crazy. Like, I'm still trying to get back in that bag. Like, some of the prints that I was making were, like, and just being in the studio, experimenting, being annoying to my teacher, um, and I was just cleaning up ink. And I was just like, hmm. And then I put a brown piece of paper down, 
and like uh, roll the roll the whatever the thing the thing was I was using to like press yeah. the ink off the table. I picked it up. It looked like um, I don't know if it was like if it was like Japanese, like kind of like those ink drawings. Yeah, and I was like, I'm gonna cut out the little streaks. I'm gonna cut them out with a razor. And so I would like unscrew pencil sharpeners and like use the pencil sharpeners because I was not going all the way to Blick for for I was I wasn't going. So I would just find little pencil sharpeners, unscrew the blade, mm. like cut in the you know. I got calluses on my fingers from that because I was like I would cut into the resourceful. That's what they call it, resourcefulness. <laughs> <laughs> and so by hook or by crook, I was going to like again. I wasn't the best, but I was mm. going to like. Yeah, you know, so like, but then um, one of the uh, uh, recruiters from Corcoran saw my work. Mm-hmm. So they came to the school, saw my work, and then AU had a show, and we could win scholarships. And so I won a scholarship. And, you know, there were some other schools that were like, nah, Slim, like, these grades go wild. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Corcoran was like, look, these grades are a little wild, but you. And so, like, again, so, like, um, went to school, went to Corcoran, again, graduated by, you know, the skin of my teeth, but I graduated. Um, and so I became, the school was, like, crazy because it was, like, I didn't start writing good until I got out of school. Mm-hmm. Which is wild because I was, like, how did I, <laughs> it took me, boy, I was, like, I wish I was writing how I'm writing now, but um, by the time I graduated, I became so much of a better writer. Um, but it's still taking forever. Yeah. I can relate with you when you say like some of the things that I feel like when I was in school at the Corcoran, now I'm like, man, like I didn't have the words. And then I also felt like I didn't have the tools. I was making work, but it's like, as soon as you leave, it's like that studio, you know, the opportunity to write your narrative, like all of those ideas just came when it was time to go. <laughs> so I can relate with you on that. It was wild because I was just like, and the other part I feel like did, uh, uh, and I what I really started like really reading close to the end, mm. um, uh, and I had like professors. There were some classes that I failed that I learned a lot from. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I took a grad course. I took a grad level course in uh, installation and. Uh, um, in exhibition design, mm-hmm. and I failed that class, but I learned so <laughs> I learned so much about Dada. I learned so much about like flux. I learned so much about like even like uh, like the early scene in New York. I learned so much about like, and so I started to like really get into like all right. And then I did a super senior year, and I took like. Uh, this was a GW course. I took like mm-hmm. intro to black literature. I took a black radicalism class, right? What? What where were these classes? <laughs> Come on now. It was a lot of foolishness when GW and Corp emerged. It was yes. a lot of foolishness. Oh man. But one of the benefits was the opened up like like uh and so my homegirl Yasin, she was like, yo, like uh, her advisor put her on to these classes. She was like, I want to say the classes that have black oh, nice. classes. See? And so she was like, yeah, I'm taking these classes. I was like, oh, I'm taking them. <laughs> I'm, yeah. 
I'm taking, and then being in that class, of course, I was thinking about like gentrification, displacement, erasure, reassertion. But uh, one of the classes was a black brotherism class taught from a black, like, um, like black feminist or black womanist land. Wow. Mm -hmm. so it took the trajectory of black movements, but talked about the women in those movements. So it's wow. Okay. I'm blown away. Like this is, you know, like just going to Corcoran and feeling like, God damn, like what can I relate to as far as like just the education? I learned a lot, but I was craving, you know, after 30 Americans, I was craving for something. And I don't know if you know this, but um, Nick Cave was about to teach a class. And so, um, you know, I was trying to like take the class, but then all of a sudden it was canceled. There was some issue with pay. But that was like my senior year. And I was like, like, dang, I missed that opportunity, like to really, really get that um, chance. So I'm glad you, you know, you were able to to get those those courses. And my cohort there was really black. Like we mm. had a pretty cohort. That's fantastic. Um, one of my homies, Khadija, she was really radical. Like she was mm. radical. And so like the introduction to like intersectional, like feminism, like, and like from a like, that 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 was like, whoo so like that was and then i had holly bass like what like, so holly bass taught of course while i was at the corcoran uh and so like that was like uh having that experience of like those that that and then it was all we was all angry we was all like this is wild and so you know so then we started doing like protests and stuff mm. You know, raising cane and you know doing a whole bunch of different stuff, and so like that was also like uh, you know a part of like a radicalizing experience. Doing right, that, having other black people around who were like queer and critical and mm. thought and like you know like that was that was also like really an amazing experience because it like cultivated and shifted like you know yeah. So that was that was so that was that was kind of like my so by the time I left Corcoran, you know, I was in my bag. I was I was like I had the chip on my shoulder from Duke. Mm -hmm. I did that through Corcoran, and so by the time I got to my senior year, I was like, I was I'm taking all of this stuff, and I'm like, fuck, so you know. So that was that that period. Um, and then my homegirl Alana. Uh, she put me on to this uh to this chocolate city show mm. uh, and so that chocolate city show got me connected uh, uh to martina da and so like that was like an introduction to a lot of like you know the whole like black artist community right right of course i reconnected with wesley like so that was that was amazing so it was like that kind of trajectory of like coming back into i think also i feel like for me my experience, like the black artist community in DC has been really strong and really mm. been like a good support because like, no shade, like one of my uh, teachers at Corcoran, I'm not gonna say this, but one of my teachers at Corcoran was like, you know, take pictures of your work because it's gonna be a long time before you're in a space like this. And, you know, it's gonna be a while before you really, you know, get going and you start your career and you're gonna get a lot of no's. Now I've gotten some no's. But it seems like it's gonna be a while for you. But like um having that first show was like, oh, 
like, and so it was like, then I, you know, just kept showing kept and kept moving. Yeah. Bonding and kept, you know. Um, and then Jonathan Latiano gave us amazing class on like just how to like, we had the assignment was basically to be a practicing artist. That was essentially mm-hmm. the assignment. We had to do a number of studio visits. Um, we had to go to a number of artist talks. We had to go to a few openings. Mm-hmm. We had to do studio visits. And one of the studio visits I did was with Michael Clack. And the way I knew, the only reason I knew who it was is because Squirrel had a picture of Platt in the room. Mm. And so the way that I met Platt was, it was at like this bookstore and like he was in the back, he was asleep. And me and Khadija was sitting right next to him, he was just asleep. And I was like, Khadija, what's <laughs> Just having these relationships with folks who were like in it and already doing it. Right, and, right. Like, you know, by either intention or by happenstance, you know what I'm saying? Like, and they being like, you know, hey, come back, come by the studio. Uh, like, I had like one of my mentors, uh, JP, Charles Jean Pierre, I was like his studio assistant for a while. And so um, just watching him work, how he worked, um, and like, uh, so yeah, so that was just so the school trajectory kind of got me connected with other artists and then mm-hmm. two became my mentor, like having Holly Bath as a mentor was like, you know, so like when I applied to Halcyon, uh I sent my um my application to uh to to Holly Bath and she kinda of sent it back and was like, No, think bigger. Yeah. And I was like, think bigger. I was like, this is this is this is this is biggest. So you know it's a meme out now, like think big. Think yeah. this so, like she was like, no, like think bigger, like think more, like okay, this is cool. What do you think? What are you? And so like having um and so I was already doing social practice, like or socially engaged work. Right. And so like um I was applying to things that really fit me. I was applying to things, looking for things that really fit. And so being able to apply to uh, Halcyon was great because it was a very like sought after fellowship. And mm-hmm. I, would, I really didn't think, I was like, I'm just, again, like professors would like, you apply to stuff. You know, I've gotten no's like recently, I've gotten some no's on that. And so, um, but I've got nose on a professional front that I was just <laughs> I'm like, oh like that that's the part that be kicking my butt. The art stuff is like cool, but the professional stuff, I'm yeah. like, so like teaching has really made me a better professional artist. Mm-hmm. But I tell people I was a practicing artist before I was a professional artist. I was just doing it, all of the sending emails, all of the corresponding. I suck. That was <laughs> But teaching has really kind of organized me because I can't spend all day on the pizza. I only right. have time to spend on this piece. So mm-hmm. if I'm in the studio, I'm in the studio. Yeah. And then yeah. I got to be at work at a certain time tomorrow. So either I'm going to stay at the studio and take a shower in the bathroom, because I still got to be at work at a certain time tomorrow, or um, I can only spend as much time on this application. So it, it made me be like, all right, 
this is what you got to do. You got to do this. So, like, teaching made me more of an adult and a professional artist. Definitely. Still, going, still working, but I feel like those are the things that, like, um, yeah, so that's this, all of these different things kind of, like, coalesce. It's, like, where I'm at right now in terms of, like, being an artist who had, like, a chip on their shoulder. Definitely. Uh, having some academic challenges, uh, but also having to navigate what it means to be a functioning practicing artist with these challenges, right? And so, like, even when I'm working with my kids, I'm telling my kids, like, whether you do art or not, like, these, whatever challenges you have, whatever things that you, you know, like, I didn't, like, the, like, who would have thought, I never would have thought that I'd have made it here, um, before I went to art school, I wanted to go to the military. So I was like, I need structure. I can't do Chicago. I can't make it. I was crying. I was a wheel wow. And so my mom was like, boy, <laughs> um, you're going to school. You're, and so that's when Corcoran, mm. I got my acceptance letter to Corcoran. Um, but yeah, so yeah. So that's, that, that was, you know, my long-winded, you know, answer. No, that was absolutely not long-winded at all. Like, I feel like that was the information I was asking for. Um, but to move forward, at what point do you feel like you found your voice? Are you still searching for your voice? Or do you know what you're trying to share as an artist? I think, like, I was talking to, uh, talking to my whole Alana, and she, mm-hmm. the work really brings you back to yourself. Like, mm. I feel like uh, it's been really interesting, right? Like the work, the work for me is my work is personal, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, as much as my work has been a conceptual or theoretical like um, investigation to study, mm-hmm. uh, black life, black experiences, it's a study, but like a study from a very like personal perspective, right? And so like, so as I began to discover this, so like the work that I'm working on right now, I never thought, I never thought, I never thought I would be discussing the intersections of like queerness and sanctification in the black church. Oh, ooh, ooh, I never, never would have thought that I'd be putting in the work. <laughs> so what changed it or like what made you actually put that in your work? I mean, well, so since I, I came out recently, and mm-hmm. so, and so like, I would have conversations with uh, my heart. And so again, talking to Alana, she was like, you know, some of the things we talk about, like you talk about personal stuff in your work. Like when I talked about like my relationship with my mom, mm-hmm. using the very interior perspective of her life um, and her family pictures. Cause I found, I just was in my room and found a picture of like an old album in my room uh, and it was like old pictures because we lived in the house my mother grew up in mm-hmm. and so when I uh, I found that and I started to talk about like and I was dealing with I, at the time I was dealing with my relationship with my mom we had a very you know I'm her son but I'm also I'm her child I'm her um, you know I have my a lot of my dad but also my mom you know what I'm saying she was like you know, she's like, you gonna have a little bit of me. You know what I'm saying? So she put a little bit of me in her, mm-hmm. but the part of me that she put in there, <laughs> it was, you know, you know, it was the part that, you know, very strong will, very, um, you know, uh, yeah. So, um, 
And so, like, we were, you know, we were dealing with our things. So I began to understand my mom a whole lot more through the work. And I began to mm-hmm. understand my grandma mm-hmm. a whole lot more through the work. And thinking about, so I was senior year of college, I was thinking about post-traumatic slave syndrome. I started thinking about, I was thinking about um, Philando Castillo. And I was thinking about the, the things that we kept seeing on the little loop. And I was like, how do we respond? How do, what, is the, what is the effect on us? And so the natural inclination would be, like, what if I just put it on a loop? And like, I was like, no, my mental health can't take mm-hmm. putting that on the loop and going to a predominantly white school. Mm-hmm. So I was like, but then Wesley put me on the Dr. Joy DeBrew post-traumatic slave syndrome. Mm-hmm. And to study that and study family pathology. And enduring legacies of, you know, so then I saw to my family legacy and wood and family trees as a result of, I was initially painting. And then I got into sculpture as a result of contemplating the trees as like a wood as a way of holding history and the black body and the way the wood and the black body holds it. So I got into that good. Then I was thinking about like, I graduated and I was doing, um, uh, a lot of independent study. I had like three independent study classes in my fifth, my fifth year of school. I like, I was like, you know, I was thinking a lot about gentrification, displacement. Right. So I wanted to come back to that work that I was doing before. And so that made me think about like these photos that I had with my mom. And so I started to rip and tear and like create these kind of like collages. Uh, and so being, I'm thinking about like, uh, my mom's photos with the wood and with all of these other things. And so then, so it's unfolding. And then I started to think about like the black congregation and like I said, mm-hmm. the black, as a collective black experience, but thinking about it as queerness, as a queer experience uh, and like found family and a correlation yeah. in the black church, like mothers, people that you're not related to, but mother, father, sister, like, and so like, and then like the move of the spirit as like, so what I'm where I'm at right now is like the move of the spirit as mm. an erotic experience. And now, you know, and you know, my you know, my dad do my hear and shit, like he, he be like, all right now, all right, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Like, all right. That ain't, you know, that ain't that ain't that ain't Bible. And I'll be like, okay, all right, you know. Look, I come from a, a holiness Pentecostal, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, my I'm actually, my dad is a fourth and fifth generation pastor on both sides. So, yeah. Wow. And so, but the legacy of that, like, uh, talking to my grandmother, she said the reason she left and created, my grandmother started her own ministry. Okay. She was a preaching at a time where that was still, like, not as many, as many Black women that were, like, preaching in pastoring and doing that was still not kosher to some mm. people. So, but then the way that my grandmother's ministry worked, some people view what she did as social work. And so social work? Social work. <laughs> and so, but she would like pick people up, bring them to church, feed them, and it was a lot of young people. Okay. And so she would drop them off home. It was a lot of like street ministry. And so my parents, my family got in the urban ministry before it became a thing before it became a thing yeah you know so you know so this legacy of of of, of 
this tradition and like looking at like shouting as like you know and so like even like shouting i'm like that's something that's very oppositional to like transgressive to order whiteness and so but then thinking about like church and shouting in the black like uh church experience is something antithetical to white supremacy and as its own kind of like closeted experience like you know like how we understand uh, church folks you had to you had to go somewhere to have church yeah or in the woods to have church together so like go, and i hate to cut you off but it's like you going back to wood you know what i mean like i feel like it's within the foundation of our existence as black people would you know takes you far in so many different angles and aspects of yeah. african-american history just in general so i'm like god damn like just your narrative within itself is so powerful but then like linking it to all these different things you know you like the way that you're talking about how you're starting to talk about one thing and then it goes into the another thing and then it goes to the family then it goes to this like oh my god but keep going <laughs> so like the best like for me like when i like even like as a i guess at this point i'm an intellectual academic i've accepted mm. that title. i brand myself that mm. but like the work for me i'm a like I heard I heard friend Moten and uh, I think Cynthia Harmon were talking about like different between like black studies and black study, and I think black people are starting to reclaim the practice of black study, yeah, black studies as an institutional thing, but black study as you know something that's integral to our survival, and not mm. as something that is elite in terms of like I'm smart and you're not, yeah, um, but something that is integral to like you know. And so, like, for me, the kind of, like, realization, it's a self-practice, a self-development, like, you know, my own personal-ish. And so before I ever thought about an audience, before I thought about, like, where the work is going to go, how it's going to be installed, all of that, I was just work. I was just trying to figure my stuff out. Yeah, yeah. And so as a manifestation of trying to figure my stuff out, it made me think about all of the ways in which I have to think about, um, like Afro pessimism is like a big thing because Afro pessimism talks about like the superstructure of you know white supremacy is this very large superstructure. It's the sky, it is the environment, it is the you know. So um, what is the word? I've never heard this word before. Afro pessimism. Yeah. Okay. Explain. So if, explain. Yeah. So if I can give my kind of like my understanding of Afro pessimism, so mm. right, it is to think about like um, it is an understanding of our existence in the context of white supremacy and so to understand that like okay we could do all the work that we want to do but this work doesn't amount to much unless we destabilize deconstruct eradicate and emancipate ourselves right imperialist capitalist white supremacist you know patriarch you know what I'm saying uh, and so, like, but uh, then on the other end, Sadia and like people like in the way, so like mm-hmm. uh, uh, thinking about okay, yes, and, but also we still have to do the work. And so, um, not a negation, but Horton's Spiller, I think Bell Hooks, like, say something similar where they say, like, love doesn't exist if you don't exist in a functional society. Exactly. Then Horton Spiller says Blackness in another, uh, in her work on intimacy, she says love doesn't exist. And, of course, Bill Hook says communion. 
Like these things don't exist if we're not in a functional society. But then um, Horton Spiller, um, in her work in black culture, she says blackness brings the world back to a place of human inhabitation. Mm-hmm. Right? And so Afro-pessimism and the work of black culture in terms of it being a process of bringing the world back to. So if we think about how do we preserve ourselves in like one thing that I link, I don't dis- disconnect my pursuit for affection, intimacy, and love mm-hmm. from the issues of gentrification. Because if I'm trying to date, it's hard to date when stuff costs so much. Facts. No. <laughs> or find a boo, or you also try to find, and then you and your boo both stressed out. I'm not saying that I've been there. But yeah. no, I understand. Because <laughs> y'all both trying to work, y'all both trying to be adults, y'all both trying to figure out like uh, your relationship to your bodies. You're trying to figure all of this stuff out in the context of trying to find a job, trying to find a full food, trying to so like you're doing that, you know, that but then it brings together that conversation between James Ball and Nikki Giovanni. Which was like, you know, like she was like lie to me. He was like, I can't. And yeah. like, and so like, what does that work look like of this superstructure? And but that my work is talking about is the evidence of the intimate, like intimate mm-hmm. and art as evidence of something much larger. So like my work around gentrification, it should be used as evidential, like ev- like evidence. If I wanted to take this to the Supreme Court, my work should be visual evidence of the impacts of gentrification as practical in terms of infrastructure, but also how does the infrastructure then impact our intimate daily lives, our intimate daily lives as evidence. Um, mm-hmm. In research, they uh, always forget the word for research, but um, uh, not anecdotal research, but uh qualitative research Mm -hmm. and so my work is a black study that centers qualitative research Uh, and so it should be used evidence as qualitative research bottom producing aesthetics for black people to enjoy and live in and embody so I'm trying to do the work of like crafting a very critical language that is resistant to white supremacy while simultaneously trying to like stay true to like uh, bell hooks. I'm, I'm a, bell hooks. He was in a talk with like other intellectuals, and no shade to Henry Louis Gates, but he was like, "Us intellectuals, we all know the feeling that we have left our communities behind." And bell hooks' face was immediately like, <laughs> <laughs> "And it's quite funny saying this. First of all, boy, you better get that PhD. But secondly, it's like." what you're saying is almost like, what is the response to Afro-pessimism? You know what I mean? Because with you stating all the people that you've quoted, we all have a different view of what that may look like, you know? So what is the right answer? What is the wrong answer? Like, how do we then have a clear understanding of how we function (laughs) in a state that is predominantly, you know, reigned or, you know, owned and functioned in the lens of the Supreme, you know, the Supreme, but like, what does that look like for us? And how do we navigate in this environment that wasn't built for us? Right. And that's why I like, the reason I like, I have not completely, completely abandoned my relationship to the black church completely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is because I feel like it was the first attempt in answering that question. Yeah. Um, 
and not just in like some kind of like abstract sense, but a real sense of like actually like, okay, like um, what is it? The first one that was the first instance of like us coming together to even have a congregation, to have a collective experience out from, but also inside. And so this is why I like the black cousin, the idea of outside and inside, like uh, it was the first experience of having that first initial experience of having to do the work with each other mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and having the problem solved with each other, having mm-hmm. to like, raise money. We had to cook. We had to do a number of things and then, uh, but also do this in the context of white supremacy domination. Mm-hmm. So it is an actual practice of being in the context of and right, right next to right adjacent beside white supremacy domination mm-hmm. and trying to cultivate something outside of white supremacy domination while simultaneously being and having to return to it at the end of this meeting. And so like, uh, so like that's, that, that's where my work is going like next. Like, yeah. I love that you're articulating it very well. And it makes me also question because, you know, my um, lineage is also African, but we like, you know, me also having so many different cultures that I'm tapping into mixed with tradition and religion. So my my family is very heavily Christian on my maternal side. But, you know, like we were colonized, so we still have traditional African things that we mix with. Christianity, but it's also that push and pull as to like, how do we reclaim, you know, our own traditions, but also stick with our new, embracing that new religion, you know, which is not new now, but I'm just like, I completely understand what you're saying and curious to see like how that takes form and shape in your, you you know, your visual narratives. Like that's a lot. It's heavy and it's, but it's always going to be continual. You know what I mean? Like you have always something to say about <laughs> that topic. I, I love because, you know, one thing, I, as much as, like, I can't help, I've been church real bad. And it's so yeah. bad. Like, you know, because I love, like, when I look at, like, ballroom right now, like, mm-hmm. that's what I mean, like, church. Sanctuary. Yeah, it's my sanctuary that, you know, exists and functions in the same way that the church functions. Mm-hmm. You know, my ancestors in terms of, like, but also the move of the spirit. So like, you know, I still have, I can't think about like, like, but then also like my, like shout is yeah. like, when I think about like speaking the tongue, like each shout about Yeah. That is, that's, that, that is a part of a legacy that, um, it's a part of the black church that extends beyond the black church. Absolutely. How we establish like our so like where black people exist in congregations, specifically spiritual spaces. Of, Absolutely. Like, I, you hit it on the nail because I was just like, it goes deeper than that because spiritually, as black people, we need that, you know, whether we're getting it from Christianity, like no matter what religion or what no matter what space we seek sanctuary. We need that sense of community. We need that sense of like, you know, what were you saying speaking in tongue? We need that sense of connection with a different ancestral spiritual realm. Like we need some form of that space. So <laughs> yeah, most definitely. But I think in terms of like like answering the question in terms of like the evolution of like mm. where, uh, 
the record's gone. And it's gone. Like it's it's a, it's a, it's it's a conversation and a negotiation between like uh, myself and like I was like you know I'm in conversation with my friends. I'm in mm-hmm. conversation with my family. Like you know what I'm saying like my dad, although he's not like you know, biggest fan of the work that I'm producing right now. He was still like, all right, if you're going to do this, we're going to have to really make sure you're researching. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you're still going to have to, like, uh, he was like, you know, like, you know, are you talking to the people that are actually in it? Like, you know what I'm saying? Of course, you must be going in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So he's giving me good points over going to the. <laughs> and so he's like, you know, like, are you, but like, the, the, the advice is still heated in terms of, like, because he, it's what, you know, he's, he has, he's working on his community. And so he knows research, mm-hmm. knows, you know, scholarship and all that good jazz. So, Shoot, um, it's a good thing to have, you know, so many of these different people to tap into and get support from. Whether or not you're going to take that advice or not, it's just like you have so many people in your corner that are like pushing you in the direction that you're going to, you know, excel in. So that's the, that, but that, yeah, I just, that's what the, that's what, like, these things are evolving. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, like, Staying true to the practice of black studies is the thing that has allowed me to um, continue in the way that black study has radicalized me every step of it. Like, I never would have thought that I would be, you know, someone who could be considered a queer artist. I never thought yeah. that I would be a um, I never thought I'd see the other side of it. And so, like, the fact that I'm here now is being a direct result of my engagement with black stuff and like uh, not just intellectually but also visually you know, like and one thing that I can say about my relationship to the black church is uh something about you know studying the word like you know I come from a generation of Bible scholars so it's like it ain't just about studying the word but it's about applying the word like, mm-hmm. don't just study the word you have to apply the word to right. the it has to be in your spirit. And so I'm not just talking about my work, but I'm meditating. I'm like, sometimes my work had me in here ready to punch a wall. <laughs> like, like, the work is, like, real is real to me. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, like, I feel like I meditate to be on the, on the work. You know, I, mean, I meditate to be on the thinking about it. So the work is, as I engage with it, it's transformed me. Um, and so, you know, like they say in church, you know, the way I used to walk, I don't walk no more. We used to mm-hmm. talk, I don't talk no more. You know, it's, it's the change, just the change, you know. And so that's how I see that. Um, and I, this is last, like, last thing I was like, Absolutely. and like, she said, like, we have to die. Like, we're going to actually have to die. Mm-hmm. And so, um, of course, some scripture says, you know, I'm crucified with Christ, you know. And so this right. idea of, like, dying, of, of course, it's like, this idea of dying is, you know, had been taken from other spiritual and religious traditions. Mm-hmm. So, but this idea of, like, dying being born consistently. Right. So I think the work has killed me something. Um, and then we work some consistently, like, dying. Um, but dying is an act of like liberation and, and life and you know emancipation. So you know, like you know, the work has killed me, but it's 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 brought me back to life. So that's that's why I'm just like the evolution and mm-hmm. evolving nature of the work uh, 
is as long as I stay true to black studies, as long as I stay true to the studies of black people, my experiences, my lives, my stories, that's my new doubt. That's my new Love Fantastic. So we have about 10 minutes, but I wanted to ask you this question because since we've been having this wonderful conversation, I remember you sharing the story about you, you know, being stuck in this booth, but still finding a way to draw. Right. And my initial like interpretation of that is that you were still freeing yourself, even in the confinement of people thinking that they had to like push you in certain directions or focus on one thing. So now that you've, you know, earned your degree as, um, you know, a fine artist and you're moving towards being a professional artist, like you say, um, what does ultimate freedom look like for you at this stage in life as an artist? I think going, I've done this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a little far as everywhere, it's a really good series, uh, particularly like when Megan the series talks to the white girl. She's like, look, if you're going to be critiquing everybody else, you got to be ready for a critique for yourself. Right. Like, you got to be ready for the things to turn back to you. And so I think like, like, the thing that I think like freedom is for me is I'm really starting to be like doing work, right? Um, because James Baldwin said, you know, to be relatively conscious is to be consistent with the But from what I understand, the other part of that, English, like but that's no way to like live, like that's no way to like consistently be. So I have to find ways to teach and care and love. And, like, so I think for me, um, what I'm really looking for, particularly like thinking about like being in the way, being just like and you know, like Bexon, like he's being like you know. Um, since I've done all of this work to like you know. You know, really like come to a whole new space. I think cognitive interview is like, woo, woo, it'll, it'll, it'll make you want to how Yeah, yeah. But I feel like when I'm coming to this new space, it's being really about like taking my time and listening to like, you know, like starting therapy and like getting into like uh, conversations and, you know, mining who I like. So I feel like freedom, of course, until you. You know, deconstruct this whole entire thing, you know, until it all burns down. Mm-hmm. Um, the freedom that I'm finding is the peace in life. Um, the personal work, like, uh, slowing down and being more like uh, taking care of myself and like right. being in relationships with other folks, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, caring for, being a better friend. Like, you know, these are the things that I'm finding. Like, is to do the do the work of being with other people, like loving my you know friends, loving my sisters, loving my you know. So like that's the work um, that I feel like really is creating me me because you know as long as my physical form you know what I'm saying is confined, my spirit is good, you know what I'm saying, and so like. Um, as long as I can do work with my spirit, as long as I can like, work with my spirit, work with, you know, that's, that to me is the, the, you know, I guess going back to, it's full of like going back to human habitation, like, 
starts with, you know, so right now, to be honest, like, I don't, I don't know if I see myself as like free. I see myself in the struggle for it. You know what I'm saying? I see myself like in, in the process of emancipating like myself and like mm. my children and my, and not even just like the kids that I teach. Like if right. I was a gay parent, I think about being a gay parent all the time. If I was to have, you know, gay kids, I would like, who am I as an elder? Right. Like, that is that is me being free. That is the, my imagination of being free that like, and somebody told me this like about peace. It was like, they, they I, was, I was like, I just want peace. And they're like, it's peace a destination or peace a process. Whoa. So, <laughs> what a question. <laughs> <laughs> and so I never see like, freedom as a destination because you know of course like being in proximity to black men it's like like emancipation of freedom is no destination because as soon as mm-hmm. we think we've arrived at it uh, and that's the issue with the black church black yeah. church you know, like it arrived at something and so like but it, and when we start thinking that we've arrived at the destination of freedom then we realize that there are people coming after us that are going to challenge our understanding Facts. So I'm dealing with the fact that, like, I'm just in this continuum of emancipation and emancipation. And so freedom is being, like, being in that thing. And, like, you know, hopefully when I have some kids and I'm talking to somebody who reminds me of myself, I can win a whole little more clear vision. Somebody told me that, like, uh, and speaking specifically about gay men, but I think queer folks in general, mm-hmm. folks in general, like the possibility models. And so, what I'm really trying to generate is a possibility model. Um, and so, engaging with my young people about you know, the possibility models of black queer emancipation could potentially look like. Right. And to, like, so that that's just. That's how I view freedom. That's how I view, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, yeah. So that's just how I view like freedom. How I view myself in freedom. That's how I view where I. Uh, uh, I forgot because Nina Simone's quote about like freedom. I don't know why it's sticking in my mind. Uh, uh, she says, "I can't think about it right now," but. Whatever Nina, what Nina Simone did, like, <laughs> um, but that's that's, and I feel like artists are because we get a bad rap with not being necessary. Um, but um, the same way that mathematicians create and scientists create, you know, mm-hmm. space, uh, black artists present like the ethic for how that space is going to be inhabited, and Absolutely. that is essential to. The work because the work does not exist without us actually without the ethos engage and without the ethic of how we want to engage, you know. So that's why, yeah. So freedom is just you know the work, the process, and then the ethic that kind of guides it. So like you know, being in that continuum, being in that work, fantastic. So I have two final questions for you. Um, well, the, the two things that I have for you, one of them is not a question. I wanted to see um, if you have any advice for any of our listeners that are, you know, practicing artists, want to be, you know, professional artists, 
and maybe our educators, what advice do you have for someone that's like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing right now, but uh, what, what what's next? <laughs> I think the is the like slow. I, I would I would, the advice I would give I give uh, just as like professional practice is just be outside, be outside, yeah. doing hood rat stuff with your friends, like be outside, um, and being outside will, will particularly in the space like. In the city like DC, I don't know about other cities. I don't know about New York. I don't know about Atlanta. I don't know about the rest of the outside. Uh, go to shows, talk to people. People will see your face. Eventually, they're gonna wanna. Folks are nosy. Everybody's trying to like get on. Yeah. So folks is gonna ask you, "Oh, what do you do? What are you? What's your work about?" Like the famous DC question. Yeah. What are, <laughs> what's your work about? What do What do you got going on? Folks is nosy. They want to know. They don't, don't, nobody knows who anybody to tell. Like, people won't want to know who you is and who you are on that front in terms of, like, just getting out there and starting to make news. And, you know, and people want to see good people put on. So, at least from what I've seen in DC and certain folks, I've been But So, that's the one hand. On the other hand, it's like, do, do, oh, one thing I'm big about, do, do your homework. Like, do homework. Your homework. Like, uh, you know, they say, like, this is one thing I'm, like, really critical about, like, young black, you know, young black male artists about. I'm like, like, do, do your homework. Not just about, you know, I'm a young black man. What about it? What about it? Just the story. What do you research? What, yeah, what about yeah. time? What's, what's, what's in addition to that? What do you, right. what do you, you know, like, critical, I'm like, you gotta, gotta do your homework. Do your homework. Do your research. You know, you know, you're not the first person to feel this thing. So the other people can inform the understanding of the things you're going through and like trying to process, trying to think about. Um, so that's my big thing. Get out there, do your homework, um, and like smoke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, here today. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you don't like smoking, James, you know, you know, not not too much, but you know, get a get a little bottle, you know, some you know, uh, burn something to cool it down, ease yeah, ease off a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, burn some incense, play some play some white noise, play some smooth jazz. Mm-hmm. Like, you know say, like do <laughs> do something. Like all the other part is like, don't nobody really know what they do. Yeah, um, there's artists out here, like established artists. Who like have teams of people to do what you're trying to do by yourself. Yeah. So like, you know, like nobody, nobody really got the thing. Everybody's trying to work the thing out. Like, and the thing I like about being an emerging artist is I get to see established artists make mistakes. <laughs> and I get to read about their mistakes. And I get to read about people's critiques of their mistakes. And I get to read about people's critiques of the critiques. So I get to I get to watch people fail. So, like, I feel like being an uh, unestablished, emerging, independent, like, um, artist, like, you get to watch people fail. And, like, you know, like, you get to learn from other people's mistakes and lessons. Like, don't be afraid. One thing I, I'm really strong about is, like, don't be afraid of it. Like, some people hate the discord. And it's like, oh, you can't do nothing. I'm, mm-hmm. like, I'm like, yeah, you can do whatever the fuck you want to do. But don't be afraid of it because you get to watch how other people are like failing and you get to learn from like 
those missteps and you get to be thoughtful about, okay, like next time, if I do something like this, yeah, I know not to say this thing. That's <laughs> more like, and so like really like learning from the discourse, be in the discourse, see what people are talking about. You know, don't be afraid of like the discourse. Like, oh, because sometimes you see somebody else making a mistake and you knew, oh, I could have made that mistake. Mm-hmm. And it's like, are you taking the criticism of that other person personally? Because it's like, oh, now you can't know. <laughs> take the, take it on the chin. Learn from what other people are doing in in the community in these spaces, and you know, yeah. So that's why I was like, that's great. Um, for me, I'm I'm taking that advice to heart is to be outside. I have like severe social anxiety <laughs> and it's not noticeable sometimes but it's like for me like if I'm walking in a room and I see some people that I admire I just like I don't know what to do with myself you know and like try to quickly exit left not even that but people like I know it's just like just being in a crowd too long so I've been working on it the po- podcast has been helpful but like just you know being outside and actually like interacting with my peers is a challenge for me due to anxiety but it's like I need to you know, be amongst my people. It's not that I don't want to. It's just like that yeah. fear of being like in that space. So I'm, I'm gonna take it to heart. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Locking in, also like locking in with your own, like, like locking in with the, with your folks. Like, right. You have like these different circles, different rings of like relationships. Mm-hmm. So you have like your friends. Like these are the people just through your teaching. And then you kind of have like those other people who are like, and they become like the audience. So it's like, there's certain people that I know that if I if I don't want to go sit there by myself, I'm gonna probably call like this person, that person, and be like, person. okay, come with me. <laughs> keep me going. <laughs> and then and then we keep here. We having a good time, and so other people gravitate to us. I we see because we having a good time. Got it. Like, oh yeah! <laughs> wow, people be coming up to me and be like, "Oh, I see you," and I'm like, "I ain't nobody." Like, I, 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 I'm not a did a few things, but I'm like, I ain't no, I ain't really. You know what I'm saying? Like, but also it's like you never know though, because it's like your your work could speak for you. You know what I mean? You're like, I'm just a regular trade, but right. it's like people seeing your shit and be like, wait a minute, this is you know, this is some fire stuff. So you never know how people can impact you. Yeah. And that's like when you speak of Holly Bass, like I've just been such a fan, and like every time I see her, I just like freeze. I'm like, that's Holly Bass, you know. So it's like I. It, you, you people don't really know like what you mean to them because your work speaks for you. So yeah. it's like, you know, you can't say you're not a nobody, but yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying yeah. to make a point there. Yeah. Well, that's why, that's why I'm like, it's so interesting, but I also am like accepting the fact that now I have something to really give back. I'm not like the, I'm not the, I'm not the baby. Anymore. Like, mm-hmm. like so I have things to offer. I have experience. Right. And so like, you know, that's why I'm like, it's been interesting to like, be at this stage in my practice. Um, so yeah, because I, I know the feeling of like being like, oh, I don't, but like, I think like locking in, the way that I tell my kids is like, um, forget network, about relationships. Everybody not going to be a friend. Yeah, that's true. But if you got those two or three people. It's a wrap. <laughs> you don't need nothing else. You don't need nothing else. And, those, and then those, those people forget people to forget for. Right. And then you start to make that. But I, all, other than that, 
Perfect. So I'm so sorry. We have one minute left. I We did not even discuss your upcoming show. I need you to please put in the information of where your, your next show will be. I yeah. understand this happening in September. So please yeah, let us I'm know. Um, prayer Closet. And so some of the things I talked about today um, will be in Prayer Closet. So yeah. So now we now we check it out. September 9th is the opening. So yes. Please. Fantastic. And then also please quickly share your social media handles for us. We got 30 seconds. Uh, Black Ebbar, B-L-A-C-K underscore E-B-B underscore R. Black Ebbar. Actually, no, don't follow that one. That probably, <laughs> I not. Okay, LF I'll edit White it out. Studios. LF White Studios. LF White underscore studios. LF White underscore studios. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We love you so much and kudos to everything you're doing. It's fantastic. Keep going. You're the best. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye-bye.